five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Cube Podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by Penguin Random House Canada. From the record-breaking astronaut and author of Endurance, Commander Scott Kelly, comes a new book. Infinite Wonder is a breathtaking collection of photos documenting Kelly's journey on the International Space Station, the vastness of space, and the unparalleled beauty of our own home planet. It includes snapshots of the astronaut's life and work on the International Space Station, from spacewalks to selfies, hurricanes, wrinkled mountains, New York City shining like a galaxy. It's on sale now. And this episode is also brought to you by the Don't Let Go Canada Coalition. For 60 years, Canada has been a space leader. We help build the International Space Station and land astronauts on the moon. Back on Earth, we leverage our space capabilities every day to push boundaries in medicine, communications, and environmental monitoring. The clear vision and commitment of previous governments helped drive this forward, but now our country faces a decision point and we need to act. Please visit don'tletgocanada.ca and join the campaign to help us keep innovation, jobs, and our best and brightest in Canada. The universe needs more Canada. Don't let go, Canada. My guest today is Chris Blackerby, the Chief Operating Officer of Astroscale. Astroscale has raised $102 million U.S. to date for its business case, which is to help in the removal of orbital debris through the provision of -of end-of-life and active debris removal services. The company isn't going to clean all the debris that plagues us today, but it is taking steps to build a company that could be positioned to make an impact. Listen in. Welcome, Chris, to the Space Q podcast. Thanks, Mark. Um, let's start from the beginning. The company was founded by Nobu Okada in 2013. What led Mr. Okada to found the company, and what was its goal? So... Nobu was a, uh, he worked at a, at a consultancy and he was an IT entrepreneur. So he didn't really have a background in space. His only real background was he went to space camp when he was a teenager. And when he was at space camp, he met uh, Mamoru Mori, the first Japanese astronaut. Uh, and that kind of inspired him a bit on uh, doing something in space. But then he shifted tracks a bit and and worked on other other things. But as he was meeting more people and kind of getting involved, he heard a lot about this issue of space debris, but heard a lot about it from an academic or a conceptual point of view, not really a practical solving the problem perspective. So he started the company with the intention to bring more of a entrepreneur's mindset towards solving this uh, very difficult issue to solve of, of space debris. So he, he started the company on his own in 2013 uh, and then uh, he had uh, strong connections to Japan. Uh, of course, he's, he's a Japanese uh, national, but he was living in Singapore at the time. 
So he started to focus on uh, on Japan as the first part of his R&D office. So he opened an R&D office in Japan in 2015, uh, and then we opened an office in the UK in 2017, and has steadily grown in terms of uh, size of uh, numbers of staff, in terms of international offices, and in terms of an international uh, global. Uh, 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 workers, uh, staff, staff base. So the, the company has steadily grown over the last five and a half years in terms of funding and people and international presence. So um, that's kind of a quick rundown of, of how the, the company started. And, and Nobu is still the CEO and founder. Uh, I came on about a year and a half, 16 months ago, as the COO. Now, is the company still headquartered in Singapore or is that moved to Japan? Still officially headquartered in Singapore, but the bulk of our team uh, is in Japan. So we now are about 60 people total, and uh, 40, a bit more than 40, are are in Tokyo. Uh, about 12 right now are outside of London in Harwell at our UK office, and then we have a couple in in Singapore. Uh, we also have a representative in Washington D.C., Charity Whedon, um, who uh, focuses on our uh, policy and business development aspects in the U.S. All right. Uh, so we're going to go through this over time. Your company has four missions it's currently uh, undertaking, and we'll, we'll briefly discuss a couple of the items and then get into a little bit more detail as we go further into this. In a press release in 2014, uh, the company said it would participate in a mission to moon with Otsuka Pharmaceutical as a customer. That mission is called the Lunar Dream Capsule Project. Can you describe what this mission entails and why you're involved and how it actually fits into the company? So this was something that uh, Nobu focused on early as a, as a potential uh, revenue line, uh, business line. Uh, and it's more, it's focused on kind of the inspiration aspect. So uh, working with Otsuka Pharmaceutical and sending a small capsule to the lunar surface um, with names uh, written on it. So there was a folks on primarily Japan and East Asia getting children to write their names onto a small disc and put it inside of this capsule, which is shaped like kind of a um, soda can, so to speak. Uh, there's a famous Japanese um, uh, drink called Pokari Sweat, and that's going to be in this can. So that's more focused on um, kind of the uh, uh, inspirational aspect, getting kids to think about uh, about about the moon and about space, how it connects to what our larger goal is, and that's our larger goal of, of space debris remediation. Um, it doesn't have an, a direct connection, but the way, way we like to say it is that kids can put it up there, and then we need to clear up a path basically to, to go. So there's no debris there. We want to get kids to be able to go up to the moon and be able to, to see it and pick it up in the future. So there's that kind of reach of a connection to that. But that was one of the first things that Nobu focused on when he started. So it doesn't have a direct connection to our uh, space debris removal aspect of it, but it is one of our smaller missions that we're still focusing on and hoping to launch in the next couple of years. All right. And your second mission was the uh, IDEA OSG-1 uh, microsatellite, uh, which uh, was to have been an in-situ debris environment analysis mission uh, to monitor debris. Uh, the satellite was launched last November, but it was lost when the Russian rocket failed. Um, how serious a setback was that, and are you going to be replacing this capability? 
So it was disappointing, as as one would expect, to lose this mission that the team worked for a couple of years on. Um, as you mentioned, Mark, it was going to be monitoring uh, submillimeter debris in low Earth orbit. Uh, it was a really cool concept. It was going to have these um, space debris uh, monitors uh, on the, these panels, and then as small debris would pierce the panel, we'd be able to tell the size, uh, the speed, the location of the debris, and get a better in situ understanding of the debris field, the, the, um, the micro debris field in LEO. Uh, yes, uh, the failure was difficult, um, but not uh, anything that was stopping us moving forward with our overall mission. People were really interested in getting that data because we have so much data from ground-based measurements, but we don't have a lot from in situ. And so there was a lot of interest among a lot of uh, companies and, and, uh, and NASA and other organizations in getting the data, but no one was really willing to pay for it. So from a business case, um, it wasn't really going to be a huge revenue stream for us. So uh, as far as a loss, it was a very disappointing loss. It was it was hard to to see it happen like that. But from our overall business perspective, we were able to dust ourselves off and, and move forward onto our next mission. And it really gave us a good uh, appreciation for what it takes to build a satellite, to go through the policy aspects of it and the regulatory aspects of it, uh, understand a supply chain a little bit better. So as a learning experience, it was very successful um, despite the disappointment and the failure uh, of the rocket. Um, as far as doing the mission again, because of the lack of a real revenue stream or business case for the debris monitoring in that sense, we are choosing not to run it back right now. Uh, we'll keep it in mind as a potential supplement to a future mission or maybe do it again in the future if there's stronger interest uh, becomes uh, apparent. But for the time being, we're putting that one on the back shelf a bit. All right. So let's focus on your current missions. Uh, you have one that's called the End of Life Service by Astroscale Demonstration or ELSA-D. Could you describe it and what's its purpose? So LCD is going to be demonstrating our technology for uh, debris capture, and it's going to be just demonstrating the capture as a semi-cooperative. So what the mission is going to do, it's going to have a, a, target sat a, a target satellite, a small target satellite, 15 to 20 kilograms, attached to a larger uh, chaser satellite, which is about 160 kilograms. Uh, they're going to be connected upon launch uh, and when they launch, they'll go up to an orbit between five or 600 is what we're aiming for, kilometers. And once in orbit, they're going to separate. And they're going to separate several times, and then the chaser will uh, track and connect to the target uh, in doing different uh, iterations, different um, aspects of, uh, of uh, connecting. So the first time when they separate, the target will remain stable and then the chaser will attach to it. It's going to attach with a magnet. On the target will be a plate that has a ferromagnetic material on the surface. On the chaser will be uh, an arm, an extendable arm, not, not a robotic arm, just an extendable kind of arm that goes out with a, uh, a magnet at the end of that arm. So it will use that magnet to attach to the ferrous material, and that's how the chaser and target will connect. The first time they'll do it, the target will remain stable, the second time, the target will uh, tumble. A tumble will be instituted, and the chaser will synchronize the motions of the target and then attach and stabilize. And the third time, the target will get lost. So it'll separate far enough away where the chaser has to find the target. Um, 
And so we'll, uh, we'll track, uh, find the target, and then once they've demonstrated those capabilities, we'll uh, pacify and go into a lower orbit and, uh, and then, uh, then burn up in the atmosphere, uh, degrade naturally uh, at an orbit uh, likely below low station. Um, so basically, we're going to be demonstrating capabilities that we think customers, primarily commercial customers, would want to use for debris removal in the future. So that's, the, that's what we're trying to do with LCD, which we'll be launching in the early 2020 timeframe. Now, um, when discussing the third uh, part of that program, um, are you concerned at all about um, uh, because you're going to be separating at such a distance and you're going to have the chaser go after the target. Um, and even with the second option, the tumbling, are you concerned at all that you actually might hit some other, something else out there and actually create more debris? Yeah, well, that's, um, that's always a concern. And that's something that, uh, that we are, we're acutely aware of. Uh, but we think that we're we're taking the steps, the necessary steps, in order to make sure that doesn't happen. But yeah, um, of course, this is this is an incredibly challenging mission. It's going to be uh, one of the more challenging and difficult missions um, that you can think of, especially done by a, a small uh, startup company. But we're assembling a team that is again very aware of this as a concern and is doing everything we can to make sure that uh, we we protect against that. Um, so uh, obviously we don't want to create any more debris, um, uh, and so uh, we'll we'll working on the the guidance, navigation, control, the proximity operations technologies to make sure that that doesn't happen. Uh, we'll be doing it in an orbit that's that's low enough that it will degrade naturally within 25 years, um, but that's still not something that we want to even consider happening. Um, so that, I can only say that yes, we recognize that it's a concern, and and we're uh, we're going through the, the steps to make sure that that we don't have to have to deal with that. So we're gonna we're gonna be successful. Now, does the do the two satellites have some sort of because uh, you said that uh, it's in an orbit that's going to decay within twenty five years, but are there any active uh, propulsion or deorbit technologies on the satellites to bring them down sooner? Well, certainly the the, the Chaser satellite has uh, has propulsion. Right. Uh, so uh, we're we're have chemical propellant on the on the um, on the chaser satellite. So the the idea is that they would both be attached together in deorbit. So would deorbit together using the propulsive capabilities of the chaser. The target does not. Uh, so yeah, it it does on the chaser though. Now, in discussing this demonstration mission, you talked about the uh, magnets and plates. Um, is this something that uh, is can be used with existing debris, or is this strictly being designed for uh, future debris? So we're pretty much testing the, the, the capabilities that we'll be testing on this one are going to be the the GNC capabilities, the guidance, navigation, control, the capture capability, uh, and then the deorbit capability. So for the GNC aspect, we think that that capability could be used on existing debris as well as you know future potential debris, uh, as well as the propulsion that we're working on um, could be used for that. The the capture, as you rightly point out, uh, magnetic capture is not possible on satellites or debris that are rocket bodies that are already in orbit that were not launched with the intention of being retrieved. 
So we would have to consider a, a different capture mechanism when we go after those debris. Stepping back for a second, we're basically focusing on two different business lines as, as we look forward. And the one is on end of life services. And the focus for that are gonna be primarily commercial companies in the large constellations. Um, like you know, most, uh, our, our, our sweet spot is between say 800 kilometer, 1400 kilometer uh, constellations. Uh, and those we would want to prepare them before they launch with one of these plates uh, on their satellites. And so that when uh, they are, when, if they fail, which we expect a small percentage will, uh, then we can go up and grab them and, and bring them down. Uh, this is kind of a semi-cooperative debris removal is what we would focus on for them. Um, for the other, it's gonna be active debris removal and that's debris that's already up there. Uh, and for that, yes, we would need a different form of a capture mechanism but hopefully be able to transfer a fair amount of the technologies that we're developing for LCD over to this other, uh, over to this other business line. And the second business line would be, you know, primarily focused on governments uh, is where we think that the funding would come for that. And we're seeing some real interest on both sides, both on the commercial side and the government side, we're seeing interest in um, funding these kind of missions. Okay, so let's talk about the active debris removal for a second because, um, you know, this is an area where there's a lot of debris in space at the moment. Uh, and somebody's going to have to clean it up. Somebody's going to have to pay for it. And you would think it would be the countries that had put the debris up there in the first place. So in mm. terms of capture technology, uh, I mean, you've talked about the, uh, the magnet plate uh, capture technology for... Uh, your first business case, the, the Geo Constellation End of Life. Um, do you have plans for another demonstration satellite that's going to um, uh, use different capture technology? Or is this where, um, if I remember correctly, you have uh, an agreement with SSTL, Surrey Satellite Technology, um, and I believe they've got their demonstration satellite. Is this something where you're cooperating with them on this? So, yeah, the, the, the communicate, just for the one small clarification, I think you said, Geo, we're focused on LEO um, for, the, for, those for those satellites, uh, for the um, uh, end-of-life service satellites. Um, we're cooperating with SSTL. SSTL is building the target satellite for LCD. Okay. They're the ones who are building that, that aspect of our mission. But that's the extent right now of our cooperation uh, okay. with SSTL. We're not um, – we don't have any – further mission right now planned with them to do that ADR capture. For future ADR capture, we're right now in active conversations um, with uh, Japan and Europe about, um, you know, potentially uh, working on, on those missions. So there's, there's the, the potential that exists for a mission that would um, go up and, and grab some uh, some piece of, of Japanese debris or potentially a European. So nothing, nothing right now is, is set, but we're talking about, about that kind of mission. Also hoping to discuss those possibilities in the U S as well. So um, you're right. We don't fi finding funding sources for these is tough. And that's always been the issue. Who's going to pay for it. But what we see is a strong interest uh, primarily in, in UK, Europe, and Japan with, doing this uh, with uh, address, uh, ch changing policies to make sure that, that these 
that these become more acceptable missions and even finding budget lines to support missions like this. So at this point, there's not a specific um, active mission that we have, but we are hopeful that we will get to that point in the very near future. Okay, so let's go back to my part of that question, which was the technology. Is there any specific technology that you're looking at, um, uh, at developing or buying in terms of the uh, active removal debris, uh, de- active debris removal portion uh, of uh, the mission? Yeah, so the big the big part of it is going to be that capture technology, and and we're right now thinking about. Um, what steps to take on that. And you just articulated the big decision that every uh, company and especially every growing company has to make that decision of make or buy. And so we're in the midst of, of dealing with that right now. You know, we are a, we are a fast growing company. A, a year and a half ago or so, or just before I joined, the company had about 20, 25 people in it. Um, right now we have close to 60. Uh, a year and a half ago, we had an office in Japan and Singapore. Uh, now we have Japan, Singapore, the UK, and we're looking at a potential US entity. So we're growing really fast. And so the reason I give you that that little background too is to just say that we're looking at those possibilities and this issue of make or buy in terms of what the uh, what the capability that we're going to use for ADR is, is exactly the kind of question that we have a team looking at now uh, to answer. So we're looking at possibilities of how we would either purchase or partner with companies who um, are making these capture technologies or doing it in-house on our own. Uh, and at the same time, we're talking to these governments about uh, possible missions where we would we would work on um, going and grabbing some of that debris. So uh, I don't have a direct answer to your question right now, Mark, but just to say that it is something that we're actively considering at this point. Now, this for me, this is where it gets uh, even more interesting in that Raising funds is not easy for any business. Raising funds mm. in the space sector is very difficult. And for startups, even more so, even though we've, it's been shown, in the, especially in the last five years, that the investment community is, is definitely looking at space and making investments. So you've raised $102 US million to date. To me, that would suggest yep. that you've made your case to investors that there's a market for debris removal. Uh, who do you foresee as your initial customers? So, yes, we have made that case. And we have investors, uh, Japanese, all Japanese investors who are um, extremely uh, supportive of it and, and recognize that there is a case. As our initial customers, we see um, in the commercial customers who will be launching these um, large constellations are going to be customers. And we see the government as customers. Uh, in terms of getting the funding for that, what we need to do is prove our technical capability. And we need to continue to prove that there is that business case out there. So we are certainly reliant on the success of those large constellations. Uh, and we're going to be reliant on uh, government incentives or government um, initiatives to go out and, and fund these kind of missions. We see both of these happening. Um, you know well, and and probably most of your listeners know well that that the whole environment around the space space business is changing rapidly, uh, and with lower cost launch and lower cost satellite development, we're only going to see more and more uh, of a population in orbit and a more and more of a potential risk for debris. So, 
we are of the firm belief that the market is going to be there. Uh, and we are at the front edge of it. We also recognize that. But uh, this is happening. And, and we see it happening just in terms of other companies who are now talking about doing this. Uh, for the last three to four years since, since Nobu started the company, we've basically been the only one talking about a specific business on debris removal. But now we see more companies out there that are recognizing that this is going to happen and they're ready to get in on this. So we see customers both on the commercial side for the, the constellations um, and, on the, and on the government side. Now, when you say commercial customers on the constellations, would that include uh, customers potentially like OneWeb and SpaceX who are putting up these large LEO constellations? Those are, those are potentials. I and mean, we, we want to look at that at that orbit, like I said, you know, above where, so what is it, 650 kilometers or so is where we hit that 25-year mark. So we want to look above that, right? So um, those those satellites that are launching in that area where they're not going to degrade naturally within an acceptable time frame, we're focused on those on those missions. So the and the ones that are going to have the highest incentive to want to make sure those orbits are sustainable are naturally the ones that are going to be launching the, the larger amount of satellites in there. So um, yes, in answer to your question, those companies that are going to be launching tens, hundreds, potentially thousands of satellites into similar orbits are the ones that are going to have the highest incentive to make sure that their orbital highway is clean and sustainable to make sure that their business remains sustainable. All it's going to take is uh, an accident or two to, to make their, their market impacted negatively. So if they want to make sure that they have a sustainable orbit, they it, removing harmful pieces of debris that are that are out of control um, is is in their best interest, is in their customers' best interest, is in society's best interest. So yeah, we're focused on that as a as a customer base. So you're offering a service, but what about the um the business case of uh, situational awareness of where the debris is. Are you, is that a, is that a part of, of what you're interested in is, is cataloging debris or are you just going to use existing services for that? We ourselves, I mean, are not going to be doing any direct SSA at this point. You know, we had IDEA OSG one, which was going to be able to give some, background on that, supplement the SSA capabilities that already are existing with that in-situ measurements. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're not going to be focused on that now. Uh, so no, we don't, we're not focused on, on cataloging or SSA as our capability. We'll be working with others to um, catalog or to, to identify um, where things are. So uh, we, we obviously fully recognize that it's vital and we recognize that it's, that it's incredibly important and, and so many countries are um, looking at that, but that's not something that we're specifically looking at. Uh, we want to see it improve the SSA capabilities. We know that everyone wants to take advantage of it, but we're also looking at the remediation. So the, S, the, the space traffic management aspect of it, not just the tracking and identification, but the removal of harmful, potential harmful threats. Now, obviously your investors are going to want to return on their investment and they generally want a good return on their investment. So in terms of revenue, uh, how big do you think the market is for, for your type of services? Well, I mean, it's uh, people who are 
are paid to do these analysis have done so. And there's been, you know, as a Technavio came out, I think 2.7 billion in the next uh, 15 years in measurement and um, and space traffic management in terms of a potential market. Um, the amount of money being put into space overall over the next several years is going to be in the trillions, uh, 10 to 20 years. So, and and people will want to maintain maintain sustainability of this. So we think that the market is going to be significant. And and yes, you're right. Investors investors tend to want to see those returns. And so yeah, they're confident that there's going to be returns, as are we. Um, it's still a bit. Uh, you know, obviously, as I said earlier, it's, it's it's highly dependent on the success of 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 new space, and we recognize that. Um, but we're we're confident that 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 new space is going to be successful, but that there's of course going to be some uh, some failures in some of these that launch up there, and so that we want to be the ones to make sure that we uh, maintain that sustainability of that orbital highway. I mean, space services from space are only going to get more prevalent and more important. Uh, and so as they get more prevalent and more important, uh, there's going to be more assets. There's going to be more satellites launched. And all of this leads to the potential for more debris. So there has to be some uh, third party that is able to go up and make sure that these orbits remain sustainable for our future and for our kids' future. So we see that, that the market for this is only going to grow. Now, all your investors are based in Japan. Um, are you looking at more investment down the road, and are you open uh, or seeking investors outside of Japan? Uh, we've had conversations. We're not actively uh, really looking right now um, for a for a large, significant new round. Uh, this has been our fourth round, um, so we're we're always open. <laughs> But right now we're focused on developing the technology and finding the, the revenue stream um, is, is now the focus of the company overall from a business perspective. And the LCD uh, twin or satellites, I should say, the larger and the smaller one, uh, are they still scheduled to launch in early 2020? Yes, that's correct. We um, announced uh, recently that we're going to be launching with, with uh, Soyuz um, in the early 2020 timeframe. That's correct. All right. And um, so can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with JAXA or the Japanese or Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency? Yeah, we have a very good relationship with JAXA. Um, and right now we have an agreement with them. They're providing some assistance and some um, research. We're able to use some of their uh, testing capabilities. So uh, they're very interested in debris removal. Um, they had a mission using their uh, HTV a couple of years ago called Kite, which uh, was testing an electrodynamic tether to remove debris. Um, so they're continuing to think about uh, how, to, how, to, how to take care of this debris issue overall. So they've been a, a strong supporter, and we're strongly um, uh, connected to them and appreciative of their support so far. And are there any policy or regulatory issues that you're having to deal with? Yeah. Um, so when we talk about this, we say it's basically a three-pronged problem, all of, all of these issues impacting the other. There's the technology problem, which is, which is what we've talked about. How do we solve the technology for 
uh, robotic capture in space. Uh, there's the business case problem, which we've been talking about. How do we identify business and people to pay for this? And then there's the policy problem, which you just mentioned. So all three of those are interlapping on each other uh, and where different issues in each, in each box connect to ones and the other. So on the policy problem, certainly um, it's an issue that uh, we're acutely aware of. And we're participating in many of the discussions uh, focused on addressing this, this policy. So I'm, in, I'm based in, in Tokyo, as I said. I'm in Washington, D.C. right now to attend a meeting of, um, of CONFERS, which is uh, a group that's looking at developing standards uh, for in-orbit servicing. Uh, and so we're a member of that group. Uh, we've uh, participated on uh, discussions through other multilateral uh, groups that are looking at how to best uh, develop norms and standards for uh, in-orbit activities. So in addition to these multilateral groups, we're dealing, we're speaking to the UN. Uh, our CEO spoke at uh, Unispace this year. We're talking to IADC, the Interagency Debris Coordination Committee. We're talking to the national governments, domestic governments in the U.S. and U.K. and Europe and Japan. So we're actively um, talking and informing and having conversations with policymakers and international groups to figure out what's the best way to uh, to deal with this this issue of, um, you know, some say orbital commons. Uh, I know some don't use that term so much, but that's that's what we're talking about here, a relatively ungovernable space in orbit. And, and how do we how do we how do we uh, regulate and not regulate so much, but how do we create norms and standards that can apply to that area? I just have a few more questions. Um, sure. Because of the nature of your business, do you have to carry extra insurance? Uh, we're, we're talking about that too. This is another one. So it's just, it's such a brand new world, all of this stuff with within orbit servicing. So we're in active discussions as well with a lot of insurance companies, um, both for the insurance that uh, we would need for our mission, uh, and then also what role insurance will pay in incentivizing uh, companies to to utilize our service going forward. So um, we're talking to insurers right now about how we will insure LCD and then going forward, how we're going to deal with insurance on future customer missions. So uh, we don't have any um, answer on that just, just yet to give you, but only to say that, uh, that yeah, again, another issue that we're very aware of and we're, we're working on the solution for it. Now, this summer you opened your first ground station in Japan. Um, I expect that you'll be opening other ground stations. Can you tell us an idea of where would you expect to open ground station and is Canada an option? <laughs> um, so at this point, we only have the one that we own uh, is, uh, is the one in Japan, as you mentioned. We, for LCD, we'll be contracting out uh, ground stations to third parties at this point in time. So we don't have any immediate plans to open uh, another ground station at this point. We'll certainly keep Canada on the list, but um, but right now we don't have one uh, that we will plan to open, but we'll plan to be using third-party uh, contractors to track it. You know, we're going to need um, basically nonstop communication with our with our LCD mission because it's such a sensitive uh, technology. You know, we're not going to be just um, – having a, a single pass where we download images, we're going to need to have uh, basically uh, constant communication with the mission so we can uh, make sure that it's, uh, that it's proceeding properly. So um, 
it's going to be something that we'll we'll need a lot of coverage for. But at this point in time, as far as what we own, it's only it's only the one in Japan. All right. So you you mentioned this briefly a few minutes ago. Um, you recently partnered with uh, Glav Cosmos uh, GK Launch Services of Russia, which is a subsidiary of Roscosmos as your launch partner. Um, why them, and will you be partnering with other launch service providers? Um, so why them? They're reliable, obviously, uh, you know, uh, generally. <laughs> so uh, they're reliable, they're um, reasonable in terms of cost. So they're a good partner to work with. So that's the reason that we are uh, are launching with them with LCD. Going forward, we're certainly keeping our options open. Um, we'll continue to look for rideshare opportunities as they exist. Uh, one of the possibilities that we talk about when we deal with the commercial companies is joining joining the the customer that we're working with on their on their launch, whichever that may be. So if they launch. Um, replacement missions to replace satellites in their orbit, then maybe we'd hitch a ride uh, on their launch vehicle and remove the failed satellite when they go and fill in with their with their replacement is is a possibility. So we're looking at those kind of ride share opportunities, and we're also talking to the on-demand launchers um, as they come onto onto the scene more prevalently. We'll be looking at them as uh, the possibility to to launch on demand. So. Uh, Near term, we're going with with uh, GK and the Soyuz, but long term, we're keeping various options open. Now, I forgot to ask this earlier, but in terms of, you know, you've got your Elsa D chaser, which is weighing in at approximately 160 kilograms. In the future, are the actual uh, chasers going to be in that same weight range? I, I'd say that the initial answer is around that, that we think. Um, we're hoping to be developing ELSAs in a, a mass mass production. Uh, mass production is maybe you know you're thinking too much for mass production, but at least in the tens to you know hundreds of of ELSA ELSA missions. So as we do that, we hope to find efficiencies in production, efficiencies in cost, and we're certainly going to get better at developing and and producing these. So it's possible that it could get smaller. Uh, of course, we might need to scale up as we focus on larger missions. The ELSA mission is going to be focused on uh, satellites in the 150 to 400 kilogram range in terms of the uh, customer satellite that we'd be going after. So as we're looking at grabbing, you know, ton and lar- one, two ton and larger um, upper stages or other large satellites, then, of course, we'd have to scale up uh, the, the bus that we're using. So, um if we're talking about the, the commercial um, large constellations, then yeah, probably around that size of ELSA. As we as we go for larger missions, uh, probably bigger, probably larger. Yeah, I just asked that question because it uh, it then you know depending on the size of of your payload or the, the spacecraft, um, you know if it's a smaller spacecraft, then you certainly have a lot of these new uh, small sat uh, launch providers that are uh, coming on service like Rocket Lab and then eventually Vector Space and, and other ones. Um, yeah, and all of those we could do. I mean, there's you know, Rocket Lab is about 150 um, capacity. Uh, you know, the Virgin Orbit is about 300 or so, last I saw. So they're all around that area where we should be able to get um, one or potentially two on there, depending on how we can, again, make some efficiencies in the production. 
And it, it gives you flexibility in uh, your launch schedule to some extent because um, a lot of these new launch providers want to be able to provide launch services within, you know, three months of signing a contract, three to six months type time frame. Yeah, and that would be great for us. I mean, it's been, you know, we have to think about our strategy on how we, we do that. But an on-demand launch, if a, if a customer says, uh, you know, we just had a satellite fail, we need you to get up there as soon as you can. You know, we have two options. Either we keep we keep the missions in orbit and then just do uh, uh, an orbit change and go up and grab it from a certain orbit just below it, or we launch and go up there and get it. Uh, and if it's the latter, then, then certainly uh, an on-demand launch using one of these new providers is going to be something that we definitely would utilize. Now, so I take it then you would have, uh, let's call it spares, ready to go if a customer phones you and says, hey, we need this service right away? That's the idea. Yeah. That's the idea. We'd want to, again, I use the term mass production, and, and that I know is generally for much larger uh, production numbers. But, you know, for our small satellite mass production in the tens to hundreds, yeah, we'd want to have spares ready to go and either on the factory floor ready to be launched or up to uh, or already in orbit um, where we could go up and, and grab. So, yes, that's correct. All right. All right. So my last question has nothing to do with what we've been talking about. It's the question I try to ask all my uh, listeners, and it's uh, what books, fiction, nonfiction, related to space, not related to space, that are you reading right now that uh, you might want to share with our audience? What am I reading right now? Well, so not related to space. I'm actually reading Lincoln, um, the book a friend just gave me. I hadn't seen the movie, so I'm reading about Abraham Lincoln and the um, kind of the way he worked together with uh, – with people who are rivals, bringing them into his into his team and making sure that there was good communication. I think it's a great lesson for any company to make sure you hear all uh, all aspects of of an issue, even ones you might not agree with. Um, so to to really get a clear view as to how to solve a problem, um, that's really that's a, it's a great book. So I'm sure if you if you've I know it's American, we're on this Canadian podcast, but um, I assume you guys can read that one as well. So it's a really good one. <laughs> well, it's an inter- um, international that's, that's, podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay, it is an international podcast. That's right. Um, so uh, yeah, that's a great book. A great lessons on, on management and leadership. Um, I'm not reading a space one right now. Well, watching, you, but, but I have to say that your your what you just mentioned, Lincoln's book, and the reason why you know some of the lessons in it, the reasons, hey. That's exactly why I asked the question because uh, people are all, people are always looking for insights. Yeah, good. Well, that's good. Well, I'm glad that uh, that, that you asked. It's a, it's a great book, so you should definitely check it out. All right, Chris. Uh, thank you for being on the Space Q podcast. Uh, as your business develops, I hope we can get you on a future show to to see how how uh, the business is faring. Thanks, Mark. I I'm, I'll always stand by and uh, and look forward to doing so. Thanks again for the opportunity. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Q Podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash spaceq. We really appreciate feedback, and to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode if you send me a comment by email i'll write back to you as soon as i can on twitter you can follow us 
at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.